0: Welcome in to the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prehm, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And it's Monday. The weather has turned. It's sunny. Football is in the air. And we have got a chock full podcast of Oregon spring football information. We're going to get you caught up on everything that's happened. We're a third of the way through, folks, of spring football and it's been awesome. Uh, before we dive into the show, I want to remind you, you can subscribe today for $1 for your first month, nine ninety five thereafter. 95 there that, to DuckTerritory.com, VIP coverage. Get up-to-date information on all things Oregon, Oregon football, Oregon football recruiting, Oregon basketball, men's and women's, recruiting for both men's and women's. We've got it all on DuckTerritory.com. Check us out, $1 for – your first month nine ninety five. Thereafter that, and also real quick. Also, please make sure to follow and subscribe to our our uh, podcast channels. You can listen. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, whatever you use to listen to the show. Uh, make sure to click that subscribe button or that follow button. There's there's two different ones. They're the same option. Um, they're both free. Depending on what platform you use, some say follow, some say subscribe. Uh, that helps us out as well. Um, Eric, let's dive into this now. And we feel like we haven't talked a lot about this guy, and we probably should. So we're going to talk about Oregon's best player to start off the podcast. Um, I mean, I, I think he's the best player. Do you think he's the best player?
1: I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's much question. I was trying to think of like who a listener would think we're talking about aside from Kayvon Sibodeau. Um, yeah, I,
0: there's, there's I, mean, not a, I don't think there's a guy I, that's out here on this roster right now. I mean, maybe someone emerges during the season, um, but going into spring ball, going into the upcoming off season and in training camp, I think it's going, you know, going away. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is Oregon's best player, regardless of position, regardless of class and probably a potential number one overall draft pick, um, which would give Oregon three straight years of, you know, this type of discussion being centered around the program. And he is going to be doing semi-transition period of changing positions at Oregon, semi air quotes, air quotes, position changes.
1: Well, it depends. (laughs) If you talk to Kayvon Thibodeau, which we did last uh, Thursday, Tuesday, I can't remember which day it was, but last week, it sounds like yeah he's he's moved from defensive end to outside linebacker. Um, you know there's, we got some quotes up on DuckTurtle.com. Most of you may, you may have seen this already because um, I think this did come out about a week ago. Um, but still, I mean here's a full quote. I think I transitioned into more of an outside linebacker. I'm not so much a defensive end. No one is putting their hand in the dirt in the whole room, even though half of us weren't in the first place. We're now pretty much standing up wide nines. Um, that was his answer to a question about where he was lining up, kind of how he was fitting into Tim Dritter's defense. And I think it's pretty telling for a couple of reasons here that, well, first, Thibodeau himself will be looking at, uh, will be playing a different role, will be at least looking like, you know, he's coming from a different stance before each down. Um, You know, I think obviously there's room for him to do a couple different things. Um, You know, once the ball is snapped from, you know, if he's standing, it sounds like quite a bit. I think it's notable that he included that, other players are kind of in the same thing here. And I I think they've transitioned the edge concept, that edge rush kind of player where he was prior, um, you know, which had kind of been, some players were playing with a hand down, some were, you know, defensive ends and some were standing into full-time standing. And I think it's going to be interesting to see when we do get a chance this spring um, in the spring game, because we're not watching practice either, just to see how the front looks. Um, what, what is the you know, what is the kind of fallout of all of that? So, that's stuff we'll have to speculate on. But from Kayvon in particular, this is a huge deal. This is like Matt and I have said, this is the best player on the, on the team. This is the best player, certainly, on the defense. This is a future potential top draft pick, like Matt said. And I think trying to maximize his final years make your final year, sorry, because this, this is his last year, he's not going to come back in 2022. Sorry, I mean, <laughs> you bring in a kid of this caliber. And he's a three-and-done three as long as he lives up to expectations. And every year so far, Thibodeau has elevated himself from Pac-12 freshman of the year to first-team all-conference to this year, I think, probably the front-runner going into the season for um, Pac-12 defensive player of the year. So um, you want to maximize him. You want it to make the most of him. And, and you know, Thibodeau said this is where he wants to play too. Um, you know, Quote was, honestly, who wouldn't want to play the edge? Um, if you can give me any position, this is what I want to do because you have the most impact on the game. I don't disagree with that, so I think this makes a lot of sense from Morgan's perspective. Now, he says all of this stuff, and it's kind of funny. You know, we're sitting here, and we're kind of Matt's messaging me, like, "Oh gosh, here's our, here's just this, this is a great angle, this is a great story." And then Mario Cristobal comes on uh, roughly 20 minutes later, and is like, kind of downplay downplays the entire thing. So, um, you know, what Cristobal says is. I think what we're talking about is a certain package as opposed to what he's doing full-time. There's a lot of things he's going to be doing, and springtime for us is time to experiment with guys in different positions, trying, trying different techniques. You will see KT doing what he does and what you've seen him do, and you'll see him do it often. I wouldn't worry too much about it. So um, a little bit different tenor coming from the head coach as opposed to the star player, but I think very notable. And I, I, at this point, i probably lean a little bit more towards Thibodeau being the one who's being more full I want to say honest because I don't think Mario's trying to be necessarily dishonest as much as he doesn't have um, a desire to tell Fresno state and Ohio state, et cetera, what the best player on their football team is going to be doing on the field when they don't have to. So, um, but really, really interesting to be for sure.
0: I I, I think this is something where if you're a duck fan, you're you're and you're wondering why are they going to, take maybe the best pass rusher in college football and drop him into pass coverage. Like I think this is more about just getting KT and different spots on the field to attack the edge. Like he'll be in pass coverage a little bit and we'll see it more consider, you know, significantly more than what he's done his first two years. Cause he quite frankly really never did it. Um, but like if you're thinking it's going to be 50-50, I mean, maybe it's just me, Eric, but like if someone's out there thinking it's 50-50 pass coverage pass rushing or, or maybe a shade higher of pass coverage, I, I think you're going to be wrong. I think this is more about, hey, this is Oregon saying, hey, we, we recognize KT is highly unique and can attack you from all different angles and it's a total mismatch. And we want to maximize those mismatches to our advantage the best we can. And at the same time, maybe get our best 11 guys on the field. Meaning there could be some younger defensive linemen that have to play. And this is a move to keep your D line really good. Bolster the athleticism on the outside at linebacker and your defense overall gets better. I I, I just think, we're going to be seeing KT still live in the backfield. Like this is going to be a guy that's still going to be revered uh, and feared by opponents because of his ability to get to the backfield and, and terrorize quarterbacks in on the weak side.
1: Yeah. I think, I think Mario's response is more of less about the position to KT's playing and more about the role, because I think you say outside linebacker and you, and 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 maybe he they're referred to as edge players, and he wanted to be clear about that. But you hear outside linebacker, and I think you do think, like, oh, he's out in coverage. Um, he's he stopped being a primary pass rusher. I think it's very evident, based upon everything Tim Ruder said from day one, comparing him to Von Miller, talking about how they want to move him around a little bit and maximize his ability to get to the passer. I think there's even a quote out there I don't have in front of me, but Tim Ruder did say something of the extent of, like, you know, I'm I'm not stupid. I know that. Thibodeau's best, you know, he's best when he's getting after the passer. We're going to keep him doing that. Um, but clearly there are going to be instances where they move him around a little bit. And, and I do think one other thing I think that stands out to me when I think about this is we had thought for so long, and I think it's true, that Oregon's linebacker depth was far superior than its defensive line depth. And you would yeah. think a, a move like this would reflect the opposite, that if you're going to take KT with his hand you know, in the dirt previously and make him stand up, that puts another player in theory and again we haven't seen exactly what this defensive front looks like maybe they're going to play with literally two men with their hands down and a bunch more linebackers and it's just going to look real funky i don't expect that to be the case but like that's just hypothetical here just kind of saying we you know we, we have limited information in some regard I, I don't expect that but who maybe that's the case but like if it is three down linemen that's putting an extra down lineman than you had to put onto the field um, and taking a linebacker off and we, you talk about Adrian Jackson and Mace Funa and Justin Flo and Jackson LaDuke. These are guys that, in theory, probably lose a little bit of snaps to KT standing, in theory. You know, well, again, we'll have to see how this all works out. But like, And you're going to, say, elevate Keon Ware-Hudson. Or you're going to see Popo, Christian Williams, and Brandon Dorliss. Those three guys are playing. Something like that. Whereas, previously, you could have removed one of those defensive linemen from the field. And played one of those linebackers I just mentioned a second ago a little bit more so I think that's where it, that's kind of the other shoot that drops here is it's not only KT but it's also the fallout of if you're moving him around a little bit that does have some sort of impact on the players and the surrounding position groups so I think that part's also at the very least notable and um, I will be very curious to see what this looks like I do think when you have a player of Thibodeau's caliber and talent, and he talks about how he wants to play this position and wants to fit into this role, I think you, you kind of have to sort of just give him the freedom to do some of that. And that doesn't mean you let the players decide exactly where they play it all every time, but I think Thibodeau is a bit of a unique situation here. And if he thinks, and you read the quotes, he does talk about fitting into this role because in the offseason season, you know the workouts he's doing will be less in vain almost than they were previously. Basically, he's been working out to play this sort of position for a while, and now he's getting an opportunity. I do think there it's pretty clear that KT wants to play this spot, and I think it's probably a situation where the staff has to decide kind of best what's the best case long term for this. But it's clear, at least in the spring, that they're experimenting with a couple different things with him.
0: I don't. I think this also speaks volumes of what Oregon thinks of. Braden Swinson, a freshman defensive end, a uh, former three-star recruit who signed with Oregon out of Georgia, um, was a true freshman in 2020, will again be another true freshman in 2021 because of COVID. He played in all seven games. And I, I think more importantly, also, this speaks extremely high of Brandon Dorlis, a sophomore defensive tackle, another three-star prospect from this time from Florida, played in 10 games for Oregon as a true freshman in 2019. And then 2020, he played in seven, started one. Um, I, I feel like Dorless is a guy, Eric, where it's not going to surprise me one bit if he goes pro after the 2021 season. Like, if he has a good year, he'll be draft eligible. And he's a terror off the edge. And this, is, this might be a case where Oregon's realizing, like, hey, we have – three really, really good defensive end type players on this team. And Kayvon has the ability to play back a level at the linebacker spot. And while he's going to be listed as a linebacker, he may be, you know, still deployed in just different manners of doing the same job. We've got an opportunity to just play some dudes up front. And I I just, I, I keep going back to this D line and thinking, like you said, like, we thought the, the linebackers were maybe the deepest unit. Maybe we need to be talking about the defensive line as being the def, the best, you know, deepest unit on this roster because, you know, Popo Amave is, is a dude. I mean, he's played in 25 games and is, is a junior. Christian Williams played in seven last year as a, as a redshirt freshman, started two. Um, you know, uh, Keon Ware-Hudson, he has played in seven games last year as a redshirt freshman. Cristobal is extremely high on Jalen Smith. Um, he had to play offensive line last year, but now back to D line. And then, you know, there's still Keanu Williams, Jason Jones, Mysa El um, you know, Suavi Poti. Like this, this group might, you might be able to argue this is the deepest unit on, on Oregon's program right now.
1: And that's not a, an argument I would have expected to be making, to be honest with you, just because. I think you looked at what came back. I mean, just from a pure numbers perspective, there's like almost twice as many linebackers there as there are defensive linemen. There are a lot more offensive linemen than there are defensive linemen as well. So like there's positionally at least from a quantity perspective, you've got some reason why you disagree with that, but maybe from a quality perspective, like I think the thing that's kind of interesting about that group, as opposed to some of the other positions, like they've had a ton of success recruiting linebackers and defensive backs and wide receivers um, and offensive linemen from recruiting perspectives, you know, you look at the recruiting rankings, you know, I don't have it in front of me, but like the average ranking of the recruits. And of course, it kind of depends where you put Thibodeau. If you say he's a defensive lineman, that bumps that group up a lot. If you say he's a linebacker, that changes things too. But just from a pure recruiting perspective, it seems like defensive line would be the position group where maybe they've had, I don't want to say the least success, but maybe just not quite as much high-end success from from just landing the t- five-star talent aside from Thibodeau. Um, You know, a lot of the guys that we're talking about from that group that Matt ran through on the defensive line are either kind of mid four star to high three star prospects. There's not a lot of, you know, top 150, top 75 recruits in there. You know, it's a lot of guys that were ranked like 225th to 500th nationally. Um, So that part would be a little surprising. And I think what we saw on the field last year would probably indicate that you feel better about linebacker and wide receiver and a couple other positions but I, I do think that this position move at least to me indicates they feel comfortable enough confident enough in what they've got there and i will be curious to see what the depth looks like because you know that that's one of the other parts of this is going into spring it was kind of like okay you probably got five guys you feel pretty good about if you include Thibodeau, yeah, then you've got where hudson and Popo, who played quite a bit last year's reserves, and Williams and Doralis, who kind of towards the end of the season were starting at least a little bit. There's four guys plus Thibodeau, there's five, and you need to get to maybe six to eight to feel really good about the group. And I still don't know who guys six, seven, and eight are, but mm-hmm. clearly there is some sense that they can be an excellent group in some capacity when you move a guy like Thibodeau around a little bit. And again, I, I don't want to overstate it. It's possible. He still puts his hand down the dirt more than he suggested. And that a lot of this is just them messing around with things in the spring. And maybe a Thibodeau is also just kind of, maybe Thibodeau is in on a little bit of the joke to kind of throw a little bit of a smoke screen at Fresno state and Ohio state. And maybe they're going to have him play a kind of a certain looking role against Fresno state where he, he does play with his hand up and, and, you know, or he does play standing and, Everyone in the country is like, wow, Thibodeau's moved, and then Ohio State, he's back at the same spot, and it throws them off. I don't know. Like, who knows? But, like, um, I do think this is probably one of the more notable storylines when you have the most, as we said, the talented, the best player on your team talking about moving around a little bit from a position perspective at least has to be something we spend some time talking about, even though we'll see what the, you know, long-term actual impact of this, what the fallout is, because I don't think it's exactly clear, um, given that Mario Cristobal was kind of like, eh, don't worry about that one too much.
0: Now, shifting over to the offensive side of the ball and maybe the most in-position group, the most important position group of the entire team, quarterback, um, Oregon opened up spring camp, and Crystal Ball said that you know all five guys at the quarterback spot, they kind of know their positions. They know where they're at. Um, you know They know what they need to do to, to elevate or stay at that position. But he never really named names. He didn't say who was taking reps at what spot. And then the last couple of times that Crystal Ball has spoken, he's talked about quarterbacks a little bit. And both times, he's kind of hammered home that Anthony Brown, senior from Boston College, transfer last year, he is taking all the first-team reps. And he went as far on Saturday, Crystal Ball did, to say that through five practices, Anthony Brown has taken every single first-team rep during spring football, But he's also not said that Anthony Brown is our starter. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but didn't Cristobal say that in the spring or at least in the offseason that Shuck is our starter going into camp or starter going into spring camp? He's our number one. Yes, Um, yes. Like, like, I I find that interesting. Maybe it's semantics. But Cristobal saying Anthony Brown's taking all the reps with the ones, but he's also not gone out yet and said that He's the starter, yet he's also taken all the reps. Um, I'm curious how close this quarterback competition is. Um, and is it a case in which Anthony Brown is significantly better than everybody else in the room? Or is this a, a much closer competition than what we're being told? That's I think that might be the biggest question we have in spring football moving forward and it might, it might answer itself in the spring game and it might not. Is this a a case where Anthony Brown is far exceeding everybody else or is it closer than what we're, what we're being told?
1: And that's the part we just don't know. Right. And we just don't have an idea on that in terms of what coach Cristobal is saying. And we might hear some rumblings behind closed doors, et cetera. We'll share those when they're appropriate, but, From what Coach Cristobal is saying, it's pretty clear Anthony Brown is being given the opportunity, at least, to be the starting quarterback and being given a spring where he's being treated like that. Um, And that's not to say that won't change. Cristobal did say that they will have their first scrimmage on April 17th. That's this upcoming Saturday. And that following that scrimmage, that they may have some rotational changes made at multiple positions, but quarterback obviously being the one most will want to know about. So um, this weekend's scrimmage is obviously going to be notable. I'd imagine they'd have a scrimmage the following weekend. Um, and then obviously the spring game is the Saturday after. That. Think about that. I mean, we're not that far from the spring game. As Matt said earlier, you know, we're we're a third of the way into this. We're five practices into a fi- you know 15-practice spring. Um, and we should also know that's already more practices than we held all of last spring. You know, only four last year, so that's cool. Um, but, you know, spring ball always – I think in the past, it feels like it's longer than it is just because they separate into two different periods. This year, it's all kind of just back to back to back to back for one month. And it, you you do get a realization of like, this will go pretty quickly. And the next thing we know, spring will be done. And we'll be re- reviewing a spring game for a couple of months and drawing lots of conclusions from that. And then before we know it, we'll be at fall camp, and then the first game will be here. So, you know, the the, the number of opportunities to the quote unquote change, the hierarchy at quarterback are are probably more finite than you think in terms of there's about 10 more spring practices, there's the full summer, and then there's about maybe eight to 10 meaningful fall practices in terms of finding it out too. So we're going to have a pretty decent idea by the spring game, I think, of kind of what this looks like. And I don't think it's surprising. Like, I think if, you know, if, if we would have 10, you know, 10, 15 days ago, right before camp started, suggested that Anthony Brown would be getting all the first team reps at quarterback like I don't think either of us would have been like confused by that or that surprised by that. Now if that's the case all the way through spring camp and that's what we should talk about is if this continues and this does not change and Marco Cristobal is still singing the same tune on April 30th the day before you know their, 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 their after their final practice before the spring game of, yeah, Anthony Brown's still getting all the first-team reps and we're going to have a spring game and Anthony Brown's going to get all the first-team reps and the and the freshmen are going to be second and third. I think that would be really notable if we mm-hmm. get all the way through spring and it's still that way. I think that pretty tells a pretty clear indication of like, hey, we talked all, a lot going into spring about how this is going to be one of the more exciting quarterback position battles. Maybe it just doesn't develop that way. And, and 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 again, if it is the case, there's a couple different conclusions to draw. Either A, Anthony Brown is better than we thought or more further along than we thought and more capable than we expected. Or secondly, the freshmen just haven't quite elevated their games to that point yet. And we also have to note, like, I think people get really excited by the recruiting rankings and the younger guys are all higher rated recruits. They're all four stars. Ty Thompson, we talked about it. Best recruit ever at the position. These are all 18, 19, 20 year old kids. Whereas, I mean, this is, this is Anthony Brown's sixth year of college football and the guy's 24 years old. Um, you, know, you, you, you see the difference there. And you know, that's one of the things with this team is that you have, because of COVID, you have this interesting blend of guys that are like literally mid 20s that are older that typically would not be in the program with teenagers. And, you know, I mean, as anybody that's gone out and competed, you know, in whatever sport, whatever, you know, whatever it is, you see the difference between five to six years. It matters. So um, I'm not saying you can't see a freshman win this job, but the longer and longer you have the older guy. Running with the first team without the second, you know, the younger guys getting much opportunity with that group, the harder it becomes for them, for me to expect that we have Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford at quarterback. And one other th- note before we talk about something else here, Matt, I did find it notable that, you know, Robbie Ashford is splitting his time between baseball and football. And then one of the things that I think it was Rob Mosley reported in one of his practice reports is because of that, when there is a baseball game, Robbie Ashford's only allowed to practice one hour for football yeah. and because of that he's only had i think two of the five practices maybe where he's been able to fully devote his time to a full practice so he's only been able to really 40 percent, 20 percent, whatever it is one or two one of the two of the five practices where he's able to have been a full participant so you know how does that impact his development i mean i know like we i think really highly of his athletic tools and everything but like is he even gonna have much of a shot and if that's the case then it's really down to the other two guys so um the other two being Thompson and Butterfield. So I, I think it's it's very notable, and I will be curious to see um, if this keeps up throughout spring because I think if it does, it says a lot.
0: Real quick, um, I, it's just an observation. Um, it's not necessarily much more than that. But I, would, I just want to point out that Jay Butterfield has, it feels like, considerably bulked up. I mean, Crystal Ball mentioned that as well. Um, so the weight room was really good for him this off season. Uh, but this is a guy that like, when you see the pictures, you see the videos that come out of practice and maybe it's just me. And maybe I'm blowing it way out of proportion, but I'm, I'm looking at a guy that's like a, like from a size perspective, like a young Roethlisberger, like, does that make any kind of sense? Like he's huge, like in a good way, like, very big dude at quarterback. And I, I just think, you know, he's a guy that's kind of flown under the radar for whatever reason, because of Ty Thompson being here. And, you know, could be someone that's I think squarely in the mix at quarterback for Oregon uh, moving forward. Uh, special teams. Cristobal also dropped on Saturday. Some interesting news here. Um, this was Eric a unit in which it's, fair to say, right? Like they weren't very good. And when, it when they were good, like uh, Henry Cattleman and his field goal kicking, it was kind of like, why did it take so long to get Henry Cattleman on the field? Like um, right. Just overall last couple of seasons, special teams has not been a good enough production um, at all levels. And Cristobal said that, you know, re- reiterated that Bobby Williams is still in charge uh, of all special teams, but Oregon is now having some of their assistant coaches take on a little bit more of a workload with special teams in an aid to Bobby Williams. And an example that he gave was, you know, Ken Wilson, uh, Oregon's outside linebackers coach, um, or excuse me, inside linebacker. Inside, yeah.
1: Um,
0: saying that he's got a history, well, first of all, you know, kickoff coverage, you're running down tackling. And he said that's basically the, the priority for an inside linebacker. Um, and then he also referenced the fact that uh, Ken Wilson has experience coaching special teams um, at other schools. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's done special teams, um, work with, with some power five schools, with some group of five schools. And he's got experience there and he's going to be helping run um, Oregon special teams, kickoff coverage with Bobby Williams overseeing the whole thing. And so I think that was a very important move for Oregon to make it, Like it had to, they, they had to do something different because what they've done overall, you know, isn't up to par and Cristobal even acknowledged that said it starts with him. And so I, we're, we're seeing their adapt and we're seeing them try and change and make new things, which is always a good thing.
1: Yeah. So I think I, you look at the special teams units and they punted it fine last year. And once they made this, the, the, the change at place kicker, they, they kicked it fine on field goals and, and extra points. Like I didn't have much of an issue with that. The areas where they had problems from my perspective was in coverage, where I thought they were honestly for the caliber of athlete they have were pretty bad. They just weren't very good. Um, kickoff coverage, some some pretty some some really down moments, and and not only down moments in terms of like just getting beaten by returns, but of against USC and against Iowa State of literally getting outflanked and the other team recovering an onside kick and basically unfathomable perspective. And I think I think that stood out was like Iowa State saw what happened against USC and was like, okay, certainly they'll they'll learn from this, and they'll move some of their guys up a little bit, and they didn't. And then Iowa State, just like in the second quarter of the game, for basically no reason other than, hey, these are this could be a free possession, and kicks it and just takes the ball after scoring. I can't remember if it was a touchdown or not. What makes so, it
0: worse is they tried it earlier, and then it didn't work, and then they did it again because Oregon didn't adapt.
1: Right. I mean, so like all of that adds up to like there was clearly – clearly it just wasn't set up very well. And I think punt coverage and, punt, and then the other part was just like punt return and kickoff return, which in 2019, you can argue was very, very strong. I mean, Javon Holland was, I think first or second in the PAC 12 in punt return yardage. Mikael Wright had more kickoff return touchdowns. I think was second or third in kickoff return yardage, um, or at least maybe average. Cause he didn't kick return all year, but like those restraints. And then in 2020, you know, the punt return stuff was just never particularly exciting. And I didn't have a lot of, I don't know, the longest return might've been what 15 yards. Travis Dye was reliable, but not, you know, super ex- exhilarating to watch back there. And Mikhail it Wright. didn't even feel like they track. had the
0: best guys back there.
1: Yeah. Well, it felt like, it felt like, and you, and you talk to different special teams coach and, and there is kind of, you'd have a couple different choices. Either you pick the guy back there who you feel is the most reliable just to catch the ball. Or you put the guy back there that's the most dynamic and hopefully it's the combination of most reliable to catch the ball and the most dynamic and i think pretty clearly travis Dye was most reliable to catch the ball which for those listening are like you're really going to trust the guy who doesn't wear gloves to be the one to catch it <laughs> like, that's a fair point but like he was he didn't i don't think he dropped any he might fumble it in the open field as a running back but he was pretty darn good back there in terms of catching it but the the trade-off was he was not particularly dynamic in the open field I will be very curious to see in 2021 if that changes. And so that, those are just kind of thoughts there in terms of the personnel and just how they, you know, lack of success there. But I, I do think more than anything in coverage, having people like Ken Wilson and, and maybe some of the other defensive coaches play a role there will be impactful. And I, and I know we saw that in the past. I remember going out and watching them work on kickoff coverage and you would see Joe Saloveo running around and you would see – um Ken Wilson or Keith Hayward or who, whoever it was running around being involved, you know, talking about staying in lanes and, and doing this and that regardless, I, I think it's a win where you clearly have for, as a program, a place that's been a bit of a shortcoming and aside from making a full on overhaul and, and changing your special teams coordinator, which Oregon elected not to do that was something we talked about, by the way, I think right after the season is one. maybe they'll look at doing that uh, short from actually moving on from Bobby Williams in that, that role. This is the next best thing of at least providing some other, you know, other coaches the opportunity to to try to fix some things, try to correct some things to make sure this is not a shortcoming again next year. I don't think I would say their special teams was like the worst it's ever been, or that it was it cost them a ton of games, etc. But like it, if it was better, they maybe were in a little bit different sequences in some of these games, and maybe close games against Cal. Close game against Oregon State, maybe those games go a little differently just because a return is better, or the opposing team's return is better, or you're, you know, in the case of Oregon State, you have better kicking set, you know, better kicker out there in certain instances. So um, those are just kind of the things you think about. And I think you have to take this as a positive that they're at least taking some steps to try to correct it.
0: Marcel Yates, Oregon's new safeties coach. He also spoke with the media. I think for the first time, right? Like he did not do an interview when he got hired, if I if I remember correctly. It was yeah. kind of along long time this, where this I was on the, vacation.
1: Yeah, this is the first time he has spoken with media, period. And
0: <laughs> we did not glean very much from Marcel Yates. Um and I thought it was interesting that he was asked a question about where is this guy landing at in in the safety room? Like, where does he fall? And he basically goes in and just goes, "Uh, I'm kind of old school, James. Uh, I am not going to tell you anything uh, (laughs) schematically uh, X and O's, you know, strategically. Um, I don't want our opponents to know anything that we're doing and you're not going to get anything out of that, you know, from me which kind of basically like shut down the entire interview, even though we had like three or four more minutes with the guy. But it was, I thought it was interesting that Yates is, this is our first time speaking. He, he, he talked a lot about, you know, the familiarity with the Reuter, um, defensive coordinator working with Cal. He said, you know, the, the, the terminology and the, and the understanding of learn, you know, learning the new defense, you know, wherever you go is it, pretty simple as a coach. It's, you know, you, you get kind of used to change and, You get kind of, you know, you know what you're doing. It just takes a little bit of time to get your, you know, your bearings and and then it just kind of smooth sailing from there. But he said, you know, there was really no drop off, no, you know, real change to what he was doing at Cal to now what he's doing at Oregon under defensive coordinator, Tim DeRuiter, cited the, you know, the importance of coming to work with DeRuiter. And then the interesting thing with him is, is he said that in the interview process and Cristobal has talked about how, you know, in-depth it is and how long it is and you know they are very you know finite in what you know information they're trying to glean and 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 get out of you uh during this process and Marcel Yates said that Cristobal asked him a question in his 21 years of coaching that he'd never been asked before and that was would you be interested in coming here to help win a national championship. He said, everyone, you know, talks about, Oh, we want to be the best, da, 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 but no one's come out and flat out said, we're going to win a national championship at Oregon. Would you come and help me do it? And that was a big reason why Marcel Yates came to Oregon um, in, from California. And, and it was a, a good opportunity to meet Marcel. Uh, he he got into coaching in part because of injuries in college and, um, he wasn't going to be playing professional football. He said that was his primary goal, but then he landed into to coaching because of injuries. But um, this is an old school guy that's going to keep things uh, pretty, you know, close to his his chest, and he's not going to give us much information unless he absolutely has to, which is kind of in line of what some of the other coaches they're starting to hire.
1: Yeah, it's. I think it's really interesting. On, to see from like a staff by staff member basis how they handle media because you've got guys like Alex Mirabal and Jim Mastro. Um, I think Ken Wilson to a certain extent Keith Hayward was a little bit like this um, Well, they will be very upfront and tell you quite a bit of what's going on I mean Alex Mirabal go watch that interview um, I mean <laughs> I think and I was we were do I did a recap of the content we got up last week, and you go check that out on duckterritory.com, I, got, I posted it on Sunday. It was just a recap of every single piece of story we wrote, kind of what's the biggest nugget, here's the link, here's an opportunity just to kind of follow if you missed anything. And I recognize that I think we wrote like uh, more stories from Alex Mirabal's interviews than we did from anyone else besides maybe Mario Cristobal, and Mario Cristobal did three times as many interviews as Alex Mirabel did. And that's because Alex Mirabell comes out and basically is like, yeah, this person's practicing here, we think this guy's capable of doing this. Um, this has changed. This has improved. This is blah blah blah. Here's what we want to get out of this. Blah blah blah. Um, you know, we're we're working on hopefully getting to X number of players in a rotation, but all these sort of things come out. And from a media perspective, that's a. I mean, we really enjoyed that. We appreciate that because we learn things. We become more educated on things. And I'm not saying like Marcel Yates doesn't care about educating the media on stuff, but it probably sounds like he doesn't really care that much. And that's fine. Um, I, like, I'm not going to be hurt by that in terms of like, we'll learn what we learn when we learn it. and We'll ask people questions that we would, you know, typically ask him to other people. I mean, the, but just the downside is I think you'd maybe lose a little of that like, okay, how is this Bennett Williams versus Jordan Happel and Steve Stevens position battle at the, at, you know, at, at safety looking? And to not have really much of an assessment of that is sort of a disappointment and to not get a whole lot else just from this group in general coming out of it is kind of like, okay, this is the one chance we have all spring to speak to the coach who's leading the safety room. Um, And and we're not going to learn very much. And we'll probably get one more opportunity in the fall. And by the sound of it, probably not going to glean all that much information out of that either. So it's just the reality of what it is. I don't fault them for being that way. Um, I think everybody has a choice of how they want to handle it. And so like, good on him for for, honestly good on him for communicating that up front and not (laughs) leaving us in a spot where we're like, does he just like hate us all? Like what's going on? Like at least he told us up front. He's not going to tell us much. Um, But uh, it does. You're right. It it did kind of change the dynamic of the rest of the interview process where you're going like, Oh, he's already told me he's not going to tell me much. So why am I really asking anything specific? So, um, but again, I think that maybe the bigger takeaway from his time was, was that comment that you just, made note of a second ago where Cristobal kind of hammers home the desire to win a national championship and I think people like hearing those sort of stories behind the scenes because hey obviously Oregon fans they want to see this program break through they want to see them win a championship this is a program that has been close a lot of times been in a couple national championship games over the last 15 or so years Um, you know had opportunities to be in others and they've been kind of on the precipice and they just haven't been able to break through and the fact that the coach is selling that to not just players, but also assistant coaches. And w- when you know how honest and real Mario Cristobal is, I think it's pretty clear. And that's, that's genuine that this is a staff that he's compiling with that goal in mind. And I'm not saying other coaches don't have that goal in mind, but as Marcel Yates says, other coaches don't necessarily communicate that, that directly. And it's very clear. Cristobal wants to be the best. He wants to win national championships and, and good on him for, for making that clear to you know, perspective assistant coaches during the process. I, th- I think that speaks really, really highly of, of kind of what he's trying to build and how he's trying to build it and just trying to be open with like, yeah, this is what we're about. This is what we're here for. And, you know, you listen to Mario Cristobal, I think react to um, that comment later on in the day, just of, of saying, uh, you know, like what he talks to assistant coaches about it is, is that it's not for everybody to come here. You can come here, but if you're not willing to come in hours early and to be, you know, and, and to leave hours later than everybody else, or, you know, than you would at other jobs, then this is not the right fit for you. So, and, and Marcel Yates seems like he's committed to that. So, I mean, like more than anything else, you find guys that are willing to have that work ethic, which it's very, very clear speaking with Cristobal. And it's also very clear seeing some of the turnover at times of, you know, this is not a job that's going to be super easy. This is going to be a really challenging job. But as Cristobal suggested, the, um, you know, the, the the ends of it all of the means ends up being championships and playing in big games that kind of justifies all of that hard work. And clearly Yates is somebody who's comfortable and ready to sign off on that.
0: Let's end it with, I think maybe some high praise and a lot of attention that's been cast towards this year's freshman group. And I went back and Counted between walk-on and scholarship early enrollees that I think the number is at 16 players that are in the 2021 recruiting class, whether that's a true freshman or, you know, a transfer that have enrolled early and that's a record um, at, at Oregon. And Chris Ball said that he hopes every year that they break that record that, that, that number is huge every single season in the spring. And, Then he went and said that this freshman class is as as talented of a freshman class as he has ever been around. And I, I really thought that was interesting because he said they're making mistakes, but we're, they're making plays too. And guys are, are, are showing up, they're showing out, they're doing well. And this goes in line with the theory of as long as you recruit at a high level, eventually the, the percentages of hits are going to win out. And all of a sudden you're going to have a roster that's full of elite, talented players, and, and you're going to be a machine. And you're going to be almost unstoppable in your conference if you continue to recruit the way that, that Oregon is doing. And I, I just find it very interesting that you know we are hearing a ton of good stuff Uh, on Kingsley, Samatia at at left tackle. Uh, We're hearing a a bunch of really good things at receiver between Dante uh, Thornton and Troy Franklin. We're hearing really good stuff uh, at the safety position with Damon David and Jeffrey Uh, Bassa. Damon David goes by scoop. The guy that's playing all over, it sounds like. Um, We are getting a lot of good returns uh, on, you know, on these freshmen, in you know, the two tight ends. You know, it's almost like you go through the list and you have to name off every single guy. That's, that's, that's impressive. You know, Jackson light at center. Um, I, I think another one that's Bram Walden at, at, at tackle uh, really interesting stuff. And I, I think extremely high praise from, from Cristobal to go out this early and say they're maybe as talented of a group he's ever seen.
1: Yeah. I, was, I mean, it's huge praise the two's praise and, and guess what it aligns with the recruiting ranking too which hey pat on the back to 24-7 sports for getting that right right Mara Cristobal saying it's the best group of talent he's ever seen um for my class and we we ranked in that way so that's that's hey that's the, the proof's in the pudding we did our jobs and I'm saying that somewhat facetiously because everyone hates recruiting rankings basically every fan base thinks that everyone's all the recruits are ranked lower than they should be um and I know we took some I say we as well because we don't actually have anything to do with the recruiting rankings as much as maybe like minor suggestions of guys in the area, but, um, but we are employed by 24 seven sports. So we're part of it. Um, but like, yeah, no, I don't think it's like stunning, right. That like when you have this many, all the guys on campus are four star recruits, <laughs> every single one of them that are scholarship players. Um, so like, it's, it's not stunning to expect that are going to be really good players, but, Mark Crystal is also kind of a straight shooter, and I don't think he's going to come out and build up a bunch of guys that have been playing like crap. And I think what it tells me is not only has Oregon gone out and signed a really talented group of players, players that are highly rated from a recruiting perspective, but he's also found players that are taking this seriously, that are wanting to enroll early, that are wanting to get in the playbook to set themselves up to play early. Um, that are that are committing themselves in the weight room and are committing themselves in the position group rooms, in the meetings, in taking notes. These are the kind of things that, you know, you have to learn not only – I think that's, you know, one of the things that stood out this week as well, and this is just a slight addition, but I posted a story on Sunday about how both Brian McClendon and Mario Cristobal were really high on the strides these two super senior wide receivers have made, those seniors being Johnny Johnson and Jalen Redd, but just the strides they had made, not just as players in the field, but also in kind of informing and guiding and leading these young receivers, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, in how they take notes and how they prepare for practice in how they are um, engaged in the meeting rooms, um, how they handle walkthroughs, all of these kind of things that, you know, you, you hear this sounds like coach speak, but is really important in terms of actually being able to make an impact early. And the fact that you are hearing and seeing some of these players working with second-team offenses or defenses or maybe getting you know reps with the first team every now and then, like that speaks to a group that is not only really you know, physically gifted and talented and, and, and highly regarded and highly thought of coming in as recruits, but also players that have had the understanding that this takes more than that. I think that's really telling and important because you see it all the time where a kid comes in really highly regarded, and then he just never really does much. And that usually indicates maybe – well, maybe maybe he was misrepresented and miscast as an elite recruit, or maybe the other part is true too, where he just hasn't been able to understand some of these, um, th- these important kind of attributes in terms of preparing to play at this level. And I think it's really telling that you've seen basically all of these players that are on campus receive credit because I don't think Mario Cristobal passes that along unless these guys have done something to warrant it, and I don't think he's going to like highlight. player and say this guy's doing great when in reality the guy doesn't you know he's late to meetings he doesn't seem engaged he's he's you know missing assignments all over the place in practice and not getting better it's clear that these players are doing that so i think you know to me i get excited knowing hey these guys are talented and they're living up to the billing there but also like they are taking the necessary steps to be college football players because that can take time and that can sometimes take guys a couple of years or, which is where you do see sometimes guys, you know, third or fourth year in the program elevate themselves. I think this group, you can expect to see a lot of them helping as first or second year players here.
0: What What's a fair expectation you feel like out of this freshman class? Like two starters, three, like I'm trying to figure out probably not. We probably don't see someone from the 2021 class
1: start at corner, no, uh, maybe that would be corner. Maybe, maybe over. I mean, maybe. Jalen
0: Davies, but I, I think there's probably a better chance that Dante Manning starts ahead of yep. Jalen Davies.
1: And D- DJ James is probably pretty clearly the top guy there to start opposite of Mikhail.
0: Right. Um, safety Verone's got one of those spots locked up. That's maybe a spot where uh, a, a Damon David scoop or maybe Jeffrey Bossa could push their way in. Um,
1: maybe,
0: maybe I, I, I'm not sold for sure though. No one at nickel. Um,
1: no, no one at linebacker at
0: Outside linebacker. I, ha, I mean, I, I think Keith Brown's going to be a dude, but he's not unseating. Noah so or Isaac Slade, Mato Atiyah. So So no. that's, that's not happening. Um, no one along the D line. So basically we've wiped out the defense. Like,
1: Maybe maybe one safety. I think that's literally the only spot I could, in theory, suggest. Yeah. Or maybe if Jv's or Dickerson are just incredible at corner, but you've also got some really good players there. So You're right, defense probably like half half a player maybe.
0: <laughs> and then on the offense, I'm, I'm on record saying I think Kingsley, uh, Sua Matia will will start at left tackle. Um, but does another guy like? does bram or jonah or jackson um no i, no, I don't, I don't think, think so yeah i'm with you i don't i don't think any of those guys wide receiver i i think Jalen red and johnny johnson have those spots locked up Pittman probably has the other one locked up maybe a Devin williams um but you know troy franklin and dante thornton are there um but you know, there's just so many guys that they're going to have to compete against. Like, if there was four wide receivers that started on a consistent basis, then I would be much more open to that. But I don't think it's fair right now to expect Dante or Troy to be, you know, game one, game two, or game three starters. Maybe, but
1: I don't see it. I, I, I like. I think. I think what I was re- going through this exercise, and we should probably finish this by doing quarterback, running back, and tight end. But like, I think it's pretty clear that we can't really assess the caliber of this class and its impacts by starters yeah. because Oregon has a lot of really good players back at basically every position group and yeah. we should do tight ends and that's maybe one where we have a shot but like a running back and quarterback not to jump over right now but like I'd probably be surprised if anybody from this class I mean Ty Thompson I mean maybe but we've as we talked about this podcast and you read our articles Anthony Brown's getting all the first team reps like yeah. that seems like that's pretty not far-fetched but it seems somewhat unlikely now that he's the guy there too. So like, I mean, tight end maybe, right. Like that could be a spot.
0: Yeah. I think tight ends probably the, the most likely of, of them all. Because after Kingsley, in my opinion, like I agree. DJ is probably the, the front runner there. Spencer's probably the, the second best, but then it's open up for everybody else. And, you know, I, I could see I know, a Maliki Matavo maybe coming in and, Balling out and getting a job, Um, and where I was going was that this is maybe the best freshman class Cristobal has ever seen. He's been at Alabama, he's played for Miami, he's elite. He's recruited elite talent at Oregon, and yet I don't know if there's if you can say one if there's going to be more than one guy that starts, which is telling you where this roster is at right now. (laughs)
1: No kidding. Right. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality of this is this is the highest rated recruiting class. Cristobal is saying it'll be indications from practice are that way. And yet you rack your brain, you go through the roster and there's not a guarantee guy who's going to come in and start. Not, not one. Um, And probably like best case scenario is maybe three guys start some games. Yeah. Barring injury. And that's the other part here is that that's where things can change. Remember, Kayvon Thibodeau didn't start games until there were injuries at his position. Noah Sewell didn't start his first game either. Um, Not that there were injuries there, but like Mikael Wright didn't start at all as a true freshman. You know, so, I mean, that's the other part of this in terms of I don't think we can say like if you were to just hypothetically pull up all the true freshmen that started how many games. And this maybe this is an exercise that. Yeah, I, oh. I just, I'm coming up with content off the top of my head here, Matt. Maybe we go back to 2010 <laughs> and we just go the number of starts by true freshmen over the season, blah, 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 blah. That would be kind of interesting to look at, but that would set the precedent of like, I don't expect, Like I think 2017, Mark Willie Taggart's first year, they had quite a few true freshmen start. That doesn't mean that that class is more talented than this class. I think that just talks about how much further along the roster is now than it was when, when Taggart inherited from Helfrich.
0: So I've pulled up the depth charts from the Fiesta Bowl of last year the Rose Bowl of 2019, the Red Box Bowl of 2018, and the Las Vegas Bowl of 2017. Because those are the last games of the year. And sure, injuries play a factor into it. But more than often than not, these are your best players starting. And in, 2019, in 2020 against Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl, Oregon had one true freshman starting, and that was Noah Sewell. Um, in 2019 against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, Oregon had one true freshman starting, and that was Kayvon Thibodeau uh, in that lineup. And then in the Red Box Bowl against Michigan State, I'm looking through this on the fly now, true freshman left tackle Pene Sewell, and that looks like it. And then Las Vegas Bowl, um, against Boise State, Johnny Johnson was a freshman, and Jordan Scott was a freshman in that, and then Thomas Graham was a freshman. So they had three freshmen in that game, and then they, you know, every other one they've had one. But I mean, just go back to 2019, for example, okay. Um, Freshmen that were playing on that team. Josh Delgado was a guy that played quite a bit. Um, you, you've also got Brandon Dorless. He played. Um, you, you've got Jamal Hill. He played. Mace Funa. He played as a true freshman. Jimon Eford played as a true freshman. Uh, you've also got Michael Wright as a true freshman. Um, DJ James as a true freshman. So, you know, probably the best team Oregon has had in the last five years, probably since the championship game. You know, they've, they've got, what, five or six freshmen playing considerable minutes. And um, I look at this and think, though, that Oregon's, Oregon's roster is stacked. It's getting better and better. And yet it's going to be hard to see more than one guy really walk, walk in and, and start right away,
1: which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Yeah, I, and actually, I, I think we should do that content piece of recapping the number of starts by true freshmen since 2010. I think there'd be some interesting data there. So you might see that on duckterritory.com this week or the next couple of weeks, just because <laughs> I'm thinking about it here, like I, I, I know that's not a totally fair way to measure the freshman class, but it's a way to measure the immediate impacts in some way. And I think you could look at it and say like, hey, this recruiting class had, or this, yeah, this true freshman class had 29 combined starts as freshmen in X year. And this class had 34, and this class had 16, and this class had 48. And that would at least give you an indication of which classes were able to make impact immediately. And I think, again, what's really clear here is it's not just the talent of the incoming player. It's also the, you know, the talent at certain spots on the roster. And right now, this year's team, clearly, Far, far ahead of the 2017 team where you bring in a class that's nowhere near as highly regarded, but as Matt said, you've got three guys in Scott, Johnson, and Graham who are starting and guys who end up being starters for a while, but like you put those guys on this year's team. I don't know if any of those guys are starters, probably not. you know, maybe Thomas Graham, you know, is starting opposite of Mikhail Wright, but like he's not that much highly, more highly regarded than Jalen Davies or Avante Dickerson. And Jordan Scott is certainly not more highly regarded than guys on this year's roster. And Jai Johnson is certainly not more highly regarded. So that's the interesting thing here is now we're talking about four or five years down the road, how much things have changed and kind of just how much the opportunity to play right away has changed as well.
0: It's going to do it for us here on the and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Continue to support us on duckterritory.com. Uh, you can read more work and it sounds like Eric, we've come to a, A realization of some content that we'll be providing on DuckTerritory.com later this week. Uh, You can read all about that in-depth analysis later. Uh, We've got practice reports coming. Uh, We've got football recruiting reports coming. Basketball recruiting for both men and women uh, are are coming out as well. So there's plenty of information on DuckTerritory.com for you to check out. Please go check it out now. And until you hear us later on this week, you've been listening to the and Audibles podcast.
1: Talk to you later, folks.